invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. I'd also like to say good morning to each one of you, welcome, and those who are joining us online this morning, uh, we welcome you also. And if there were some way that we could make those of you online feel closer to us, we would do it. Um, we miss the face-to-face -face, uh, fellowship that we have. Before I preach this morning, I'd, I would like to do something I do very rarely, I've done very rarely in our church, is to uh, make an appeal to you. I think some things needs to, need to be said and not left up in the air. I certainly couldn't add a single thing of benefit to the reading of God's Word this morning, James chapter 3. And I would dare not add any additional insight into the godly and mature and wise prayer that Tim has just led us in. Can I suggest to you, without beating around the bush, that one of the ways that we can obey the Scripture and heed the prayer of God's servant as he prayed this morning is to realize that we live in a world, in a nation, and a province that is incredibly divided. And one of the very practical and wise and mature things we can do is not bring that division into the church fellowship. There is very little place in my mind as an as a elder, a pastor, an overseer who gets a sense of what's being talked about and what's going on. There is very little place in my mind uh, in a study of Second Peter on whether one should receive a vaccine or not. I haven't found that at all in a study of contentment. I found it not in Proverbs. I found it not in union with Christ. I found it not in discipleship with the youth. I think it's a topic that is divisive and causes pain and hurt and I think it's a topic that you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, should leave off the table when you gather for fellowship. I have not yet a sing met a single person who is an authority on this matter. I've met no one who has an, un uh, uh, an un inerrant view of the matter. I've met no one who has an omniscient view of the matter, which is even more important. We all see in part. We are all in places where we have our personal convictions, but if we're at all insightful and self-conscious, we have to admit that we don't know everything. And so I appeal to you this morning as brothers and sisters to gather according to Ephesians 4 and speak, A, what is necessary, B, what is edifying, 
and see what will provide grace to those who hear what you have to say. And if it comes down to the fact of a person having the courage to say, that topic is not consistent with why we meet, therefore let's not talk about this, let's move on, then do so. You might find the same response for me if you visit in my home, to be honest. And I would suggest that in church life it's similar thing. In my opinion, just as our nation is split down the middle on many topics, this topic has also gained a 50-50 participant in our church. What would it profit a man to gain an audience, to make his position dogmatically and passionately, and in the process destroy the church? What would be the profit of that? Brothers and sisters, as a fellow brother and sister, I appeal to you. There are some topics left outside of our conversation because they do not edify. They do not help. They do not heal. If any topic of COVID is brought up, it should be in the context of praying for those families who have lost loved ones. It should be in the context of praying for those people that are growing nearer to us geographically who are suffering from COVID. It should be in the context of praying for doctors and nurses and staff who have to work every single day to help Albertans heal. It should be in the, pro in the context of asking our Lord and our God to break this world from the bondage of this virus and set us free. So please hear me as a friend and a brother. And let us grow together in the ways that James 3 teaches us, that in fact Proverbs teach us. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the book of Proverbs. We're going to jump to the bookends today, the first and the end of Proverbs, so you can have your Bibles open to Proverbs 1. <clears throat> Sometimes it surprises me the things I remember, <clears throat> because I remember things that uh, are part of my past and my history and I can't remember something my wife asked me to do yesterday but it was 32 years ago approximately that I remember sitting in the home of Margaret and Lawrence Modine and I was a candidate being questioned by the pastoral search committee. Some of the people that were in that room are still here today in our fellowship. For some reason, I remember Rick and Leona 
I remember others. I was given over 50 questions to answer in this evening's inquiry. And after all that went through, I only remember one incident. And I remember it like it was today. It was indelibly printed on my mind. I won't tell you the question, although I do remember it. But John McNabb asked me a question, and I gave him an answer. And I could tell by the look on his face, my answer did not satisfy him. You've had that experience. And John just looked over at me, and he said, Are you teachable? And for some reason, his question burst into my soul that night. And for 32 years, that question has never left my mind. I am not perfect. I don't preach to you this morning as someone who has arrived. But in a very practical way, the driving ambition of my heart was to answer that question to the affirmative. Let me ask you some questions. These are questions I've asked myself and tried to learn and grow in. Let me ask you, are you teachable? By that, I mean, do you intentionally stretch yourself, particularly in relation to God's Word and topics of God's Word that will challenge you? Do you do it intentionally? Or are you a minimalist? Do you want to go through your Christian experience saying, I know enough to get to heaven, that's all that really matters? Are you a person who t intentionally stretches yourself? in biblical pursuits? Are you a person that asks questions? Do you dig deep? Those of you who preach and teach, those of you who really go up, those of you who preach and teach, those of you who lead Bible studies, those of you who teach Sunday school, those of you who chair groups, those of you who are parents, do you ask one another on a regular basis, how can I improve? How can I excel? How can I do better the next time? Are you willing to seek help? Do you find that in your conversations you do all the talking? Or do you seek, as was prayed earlier, to understand others and to learn from others? Is it hard for you to listen to other people and probe questions to give you better comprehension of they, what they're going through and what they're thinking? Are you concerned to read things? Now, I'm talking about mature Christians here this morning. I'm not 
I'm a baby Christian, but as a mature Christian, if you think you're mature, do you intentionally read things that differ from your position? If you confront another believer, and I don't mean that in an aggressive way, that you, you meet together and hold a different position than they do, are you willing to understand their position to the point that you could hold that position based on how much you know, even if you still disagree? You see, today's message is all about teachability and humility. You're old enough to remember Frank Sinatra, who sang a song about love and marriage. Teachability and humility go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't be teachable and proud. You can't be humble and not be teachable. Humility and teachability form the bookends to the book of Proverbs. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, It is a very difficult thing for us to humble ourselves. It's an almost impossible task to humble ourselves apart from your help. Oh, Lord, I pray that from my heart and through the hearts of your people, here this morning in this auditorium and those listening online, I pray that there would be an endowment of heavenly wisdom that is first of all humble. Make us teachable people. And help me, Father, as I unpack Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 30 to do it in a way that is indeed humble and graceful with my motive of love and a pure heart and a sound conscience. Oh, Father, effect great change in all of us this morning. For your glory, we ask these things. Christ's name, amen. Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb, 
and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is wisdom literature. It's poetic. You can't escape grammar and, 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 and ignore grammar and not understand it. There are six infinitives, all starting in our English Bible with the word to. And so Solomon is starting off by teaching what is the purpose of, our, of this collection of sayings? What is the purpose of Proverbs? And I won't spend a lot of time, but every, every sentence in English that starts with to is a purpose statement from Solomon, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, to give prudence to the simple, to give knowledge and discretion, to understand uh, Proverbs. Solomon is painting in poetic fashion a, a, a kaleidoscope of meanings that all are synonyms or similar to wisdom. Wisdom, instruction, understanding, insight, wise dealings, righteousness, justice, equity, prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, guidance. That's what wisdom is. That's why you, you never hear him ever say at the beginning, this is the, de remember last Sunday I said, this is my working definition of wisdom. Solomon would never be so bold as to do that because it is so huge a topic. So he gives us this kaleidoscope of, of, of words that describe what wisdom is. But they can be understood in categories. In other words, some of these words of wisdom point to direct understanding or intellectual knowledge. Wisdom includes intellectual knowledge. I would go way off topic, but simply just let me say one thing. There is a contempt within the larger church of Jesus Christ for intellectual knowledge. There is a contempt for that. I live it. I experience it. I've seen it throughout. There is a disdain to learn. There are also in these different synonyms ideas of of, of ethical living. Verse 3, for instance, receive instruction in wise dealing. In other words, within these Proverbs, there's going to be ethical dimensions in righteousness, justice, and equity. So we're going to learn things that, that teach us how to ethically deal with one another. In verse 4, there's, it, it points to the idea or the category of wisdom or knowledge that is simply practical living, that for those who are untaught or youthful can learn things of practical living. So when I look at Proverbs 1, 1 to 7, I say the purpose of Proverbs is to 
give us intellectual understanding. It's to give us ethical standards to live by and also very practical standards to live by for the youthful and the young. But Proverbs, Solomon says in this first chapter that Proverbs are only effective among a certain group of people. Who benefits from Proverbs? Well, if you look carefully over these seven verses, you'll see that the simple will benefit from Proverbs. Who are the simple? That's not a derogatory term. The simple are those who simply haven't been taught. They're unlearned. They haven't had the occasion to be taught. They will learn from the study of Proverbs. We also learn that the youth will learn from Proverbs, those who are young and haven't experienced some things yet in life. They will learn. But notice who else will learn. The wise will learn. And those who have understanding will learn. That kind of sounds like everybody, doesn't it? The unlearned, the youthful, the wise, and those who are understanding. But it isn't. There's a group missing that will learn nothing from Proverbs. They're called fools. This is the group that thinks they don't need wisdom. This is the group that thinks they've arrived. They, 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 don't, they can't benefit from anyone. They're not humble and they're not teachable. Those who are, are proud and wise according to their own eyes will learn nothing from Proverbs. What does it look like to be humble and teachable. You can write this down if you're taking notes, but Isaiah 66, 2 says, this is the one that I will look, God says. He who is humble, contrite of heart, and trembles at my word. Those are the ones where God blesses with wisdom. Humble, contrite of heart, and who tremble at his word. They don't despise his word. They don't show contempt for his word. When God speaks to them, they tremble. The Almighty God has spoken, and I must listen. Ironically, Proverbs 30 teaches us more about this humble, teachable attitude that we must have. It's the other bookend to the book. So if you flip over to Proverbs 30, you will see that because of God's great provision for us with this literature, we now have not only... At the beginning, the purpose of Proverbs, who will benefit from Proverbs, but how to benefit from Proverbs. These are the words of Agur. I'm not going to get into that, but we really don't know much about him at all. 
But Solomon thought it wise to bring his sayings into view here. Let's read verses 1 to 4 of chapter 30. Listen to the heart of this man. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fist, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established the ends of the earth. What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. You see his heart here? What does a wise person think of himself? Well, this... These words are kind of crash and hard for us to understand, but a wise person realizes how stupid he really is. That's kind of in your face on a Sunday morning, isn't it? I could put it more delicately, and maybe you'd receive it more kindly if I just simply said a wise person knows how much they don't know. A truly wise person knows how much they don't know. The wise person doesn't think highly of themselves. Notice Agur's point of comparison. He doesn't say, I am terribly unwise as compared to you or him or her. He judges his wisdom in comparison to the Holy One, God. Is that not practical advice for us this morning? That when you and I think of our own maturity and wisdom and intellect and understanding, we we, we often compare ourselves to somebody sitting beside us or in front of us or someone we know, but not Agur. He compares his wisdom to God, the Holy One. Compared to God, what do I know? Compared to the one who can answer his question, who ascended to heaven, who came down, who gathered the wind, who wrapped up the waters, who established the earth, what is his name? Compared to him, I'm stupid. I'm stupid. Of course, we know his name, don't we? As we read the canon of Scripture and we end up in the New Testament, we know exactly who he's talking about. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be an application to this text, and I'm convinced it is, that Agur, if he had known at that time, would, would say to you and I, compared to Jesus Christ, I am absolutely without any wisdom or understanding. Compared to Christ, the things I say is baby talk. Compared to Christ, 
I'm stupid. I have no understanding. Do you you remember what the story of Jesus when he was age 12 in the temple? Just, Just take this for comparison's sake. Luke 2, 46, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. I find that incredible. God in the flesh, the Son of God in human form, sitting with men who had only been learning for 60, 80 years. He, the one who gathered the waters up at the foundation of the earth, he, the one who took the stars and flung them into space, he's the one who names the stars by name and calls them out at night by name. He's the one that formed the earth. He's sitting with men that are only about 80, and yet he has the humility to ask them questions and talk to them. Not only that, when they heard his understanding, they were astonished. Do you and I think we're smart this morning? Compare yourself to Jesus. That's what Agur did. So you say, well, where do we go to learn about Jesus? Well, Agur gives us the answer in verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't add to his words, lest he rebuke you and be found a liar. Beloved, where do we get the wisdom of Jesus? Do we not get it in his word that is true? Should we not tremble at the mere notion of adding to this our own insight or robbing this? Should this not be our source of wisdom? Would not the humble and teachable find great delight in the riches of Jesus found in his word? What a great statement this is on the sufficiency of Scripture. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. God's word has all we need. Why would we go elsewhere for riches of truth and understanding? And not only are we invited to look into his word, but take refuge in his word. Several years ago, I sat tried to have a discussion with someone on particular topics. This person had a 
a bent for feminism and walked me through the Scriptures on all the seemingly abuses of women throughout the Bible. At the end of the day, I said to this person after hours of discussion, literally, if this is wrong, I'm wrong. I rest my case on the Bible. That answer was not satisfactory to them, but is all we have to go on. Every word of God proves true, and you can find refuge in it. And then Agur prays. Let's look at his prayer. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Agar's prayer is full and living of a desire to be truthful, to have nothing to do with anything profane, anything that demeans God. And he, he wants to have nothing to do with anything that lowers the excellency and the majesty and the glory and the dominion and the power of God. That's how a humble, teachable person prays. May I do not anything, may I say any, may I not say anything, may nothing that I think, do, or say cause God to seem less than who he really is. He desires nothing to detract from the glory of God. He doesn't even want to be rich, but then again, he doesn't want to be starving either. He wants to be full of truth and living to the glory of God. I saw in here, by the way, and I think you can see it, little spackets that might point to the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, do we not, do, do we not ask for our daily bread? Does not Agur say that? See, the humble person says, just, Lord, just give me what I need. That's all I ask. Just, just give me what I need. Don't, I don't need more than I need. Just ask for what I need. He doesn't want to be caught up in falsehood and lying. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you see that in his prayer? It suffice God, the humble person, it suffice to say, hey, if I go through this day, and I have been kept from wickedness and sin. That's all I ask. Then he says that he doesn't want to profane the name of my God. 
the last part of verse 9, and that's how the first part of the Lord's Prayer starts. Our Father, who art in heaven, may your name be holy. This is the prayer of the humble. This is the prayer of the teachable. The rest of chapter 30, Agur is going to offer his own proverbial statements. If you are interested, I've done more work on this. It'll be in the transcript online. I won't take the time this morning to go over his proverbial statements, but just to summarize these bookends that we have in Proverbs, God has given us these Proverbs so that we can gain an intellectual understanding, that we can have ethical guidelines to how we live, so that we can have wisdom, practical wisdom. The standard of wisdom is God. When we think about the topics of wisdom and understanding, that's the standard. It's not me. It's not you. These authors don't compare themselves to other people and say, oh, how mature I am, wise I am, experienced I am, wonderful I am. They recognize that before God, they're lacking in all sense and knowledge. Sounds a lot like Job. Have you studied Job recently? When God spoke to Job, and after God saying to Job all the questions, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Were you there when I gathered up the seas? Job goes, behold, I am of small account. How shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once. I will not answer. Twice. That's how wisdom is portrayed in humility. He says, Lord, I spoke once. <laughs> not going there anymore. I'm going to be quiet. You see, the key point this morning that I want you to go home with is to realize the wise know how much they don't know. And they are teachable. The wise tremble at the idea of demeaning God in their lives. That's the fear of the Lord. That tremble. It says, I cannot dishonor my God. May we present God as holy. When people look at our lives, may they understand that we serve a holy God. The wisdom of God benefits those who are humble and teachable and who tremble at the thought of robbing God in all his glory. Let me say that again. The wisdom of God benefits those who are humble and teachable and who tremble at the thought of robbing God of his glory. Later on, Solomon will write, give instruction to a wise man 
and he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. You know, to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Christ. I hope you understand that. And the basic word disciple means learner. It ought not be rocket science that a disciple of Christ wants to grow in wisdom and learning. It shouldn't be un, uh, 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 it shouldn't be an uncommon thing for a Christian to want advice and instruction. If you stop and think about it, our whole Christian life is posited on the sense that we are in process of gaining wisdom, so we do not trust in our own understanding, but acknowledge him in all our ways. To be a Christian is to be a lifelong learner. Regarding spiritual things, before we're saved, the Bible tells us that our none are righteous. No, not one. You all know that. But do you also know the next thing? No one understands. No one seeks God. We all learn in camp and Sunday school the verse, there's none righteous, no, what one, no, not one, but we don't learn the other half. It says no one understands, no one seeks God. There's a general sense of stupidity in the entire world regarding spiritual things. That's our condition before we're saved. In fact, Paul would say later that the natural man cannot even accept the things of the Spirit. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're watching online and you're not a Christian, you need to have a miracle take place in your, in your being so that you can even understand the things of God. Even us who are believers need to be reminded, as Paul reminded the Corinthians, not many of you who were called were wise. By what standard? By worldly standards. Look amongst you this morning. Look up here. There's not too many people that even the world would say, my, they are wise. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards, let alone spiritual standards. Even as Christians... You say, well, now I'm a Christian. I must be really wise. I must be really smart now. Even as Christians in John 15, verse 5, we're told, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And Paul reminds us in that great chapter on love in 1 Corinthians, where we're taught to love one another and bear with one another 
and not to keep records of wrongs, and so on and so on, he says very clearly to us, we only see in part. We can sit here this morning, and I can stand here this morning and preach and, and give the idea that I've arrived, I understand everything, everything's good, and Paul comes and slaps me on the cheek, and he says, you're looking through a glass dimly, Jim McClellan, and you only see in part. Be very careful where you take that pride. The warning of Proverbs from Solomon is this. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man or woman? Do you see a man or woman who's wise in their, their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Let that settle. Do you see a man or woman wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're the way, you're the truth, and you're the life. Pray for an encouragement of the Spirit this morning in all of us to pursue wisdom and understanding that comes only from you and pursue it for your glory and apply it for your fame. Help us to lay aside these weights that hinder us. Father, would you humble us this morning by your mercy? Would you grant a response in us that where we leave here, we desire to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Your word has corrected us this morning, and there is likely many of us here this morning feeling chastened and challenged. Remind us that this is because you love us. Help us to kill pride. Help us to kill the selfishness that comes that is part of us and help us to do it by your spirit according to your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that Elk Point Baptist Church and those listening online would find themselves mature in Christ and not wise in themselves. I pray 
for the, a sense of Christ's glory to rest upon us this morning. I pray for a sense of deep desire to honor and glorify you this morning. And in this particular way that we would seek by your help to be humble and teachable. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My daughter's church, my daughter Courtney's church, the pastor says something every Sunday. I won't start mimicking him, but I feel it important to say to you today what he says every Sunday to his church. He says, you are loved. You need to know that, brothers and sisters. God's correction is because he loves us. Will you stand with me and hear the benediction? The benediction this morning comes from Paul's prayer in Colossians 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance with all the saints. May God bless you. Peace go with you.